The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight we honor the life and the legacy of Nigel Kerner, born in 1946 and died in 2022. He was a screenwriter, journalist, and author of Grey Aliens and the Harvesting of Souls and the Song of the Greys. We discuss his final book on this interview, Grey Aliens and Artificial Intelligence, the battle between natural and synthetic beings for the human soul. The rush toward our technologically advanced future is part of the Grey Alien agenda. Humanity's biggest existential threat is our headlong rush to a technologically advanced future. Already, we increasingly rely on smart devices to the point that they are becoming extensions of our bodies. We are at a turning point for our species in which our natural humanity is gradually being converted into an artificial format that will lead to the loss of our souls. And as Nigel Kerner reveals in astonishing detail, the blueprints for this future already exist. There are civilizations in our universe that have developed advanced technologies to become entirely artificial. The great alien entities, reported in tens of thousands of abductions, appear to be bio-machines, synthetic beings, sent out as AI probes to gather information about something they lack that humans and other natural beings possess, a soul. Examining scientific, historical, cultural, and religious evidence for great alien visitations as far back as 40,000 years ago. Nigel Kerner reveals that the Greys themselves set us on this path toward artificial intelligence millennia ago. Kerner shows how our intrinsic nature as human beings is no longer entirely human. Our natural consciousness and DNA have been hacked, and an artificial construct has been superimposed at the very foundation of our thinking processes. Nigel shows how a rush towards a technologically advanced artificially intelligence future was seeded and precipitated by the greys in order to control us and prepare us to fit in with their agenda for humanity. Revealing the secret alien hives on our planet, their connections to governments, and their ultimate endgame to harvest our souls and alter our DNA by developing yourself on a soul level, by recognizing your individual connection to divinity. You can protect your soul field and your consciousness from the Grey's terrible manipulations. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Danielle Silverman is a UK-based researcher and editor. She has worked for over 30 years alongside the late author Nigel Kerner having collaborated on all three of his books. She remains profoundly inspired by his groundbreaking explanation of the rationale behind alien visitation, not only defining what these visitors are, but how they came to be. Also joining us tonight is Professor John P. Biggerstaff, PhD, 
Dr. Biggerstaff has a doctorate degree in cell biology and biochemistry from Brunel University in London, England. Dr. Biggerstaff was a professor of cell biology for many years at the University of Tennessee. Tonight's episode honors the memory of Nigel Kerner, the esteemed guest who recently passed away. Nigel was an avid contributor to the field of alternative research, passionately discussing topics such as UFOs, extraterrestrial life, and spiritual evolution. He was a source of inspiration for many, and his contributions to the world of metaphysics and ufology will be remembered for years to come. We fondly recall his enthusiasm, creativity, and commitment to truth. To commemorate his memory, we are proud to present two special guests, Danielle Silverman and Professor John Biggerstaff, both of whom were close friends of Nigel's. We will be discussing his recently published book, which he completed shortly before his passing. Join us as we explore Nigel's work and delve into the fascinating topics he was so passionate about. But before we begin, I have a question. What if the aliens we are looking for are AI? If the aliens we are looking for are artificial intelligence, then our search for them might be quite challenging. AI is a complex technology and is still largely mysterious to us. Therefore, we would need a high level of technical expertise to find and communicate with them. Additionally, due to the ethical implications of creating an AI species, we may need some specialized protocols to interact with them safely. Is it possible that intelligent life could evolve in a way that does not involve biology and that the development of advanced intelligence is tied to the evolution of biological organisms? Perhaps today's panel can discuss these possibilities and help us to better understand the potential implications of AI aliens. And directly from London, England, I'd like to welcome Danielle Silverman and Professor John Biggerstaff. Welcome. How are you? Thanks, Mel. Very happy to be here. Hi, Mel. Doing fine. Apart My pleasure. And may I call you Danielle and John? Absolutely. Most definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I had to honor Nigel. In fact, when I received the book, I had no idea that he had passed, but I'm so glad that you both are here honoring his memory. This is going to be a great show dedicated to, 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 to Nigel. But I have to ask you, what is the, the context of this book? What is the thesis that Nigel is trying to, to, to pursue at this time? Well, this book is actually uh, has been published at a very timely um, moment, really, with uh, because uh, especially since the time of the pandemic, when basically everything uh, moved online because um, people had to stay at home, the the development towards um, a virtual existence for humanity kind of took a quantum leap, and and now even more than before. Uh, basically, many of us live through a, a virtual presence online. Um, we're willingly uploading everything about our lives onto the internet, onto social media, um, and feeding artificially intelligent algorithms with with the very information they actually need to control our lives. So I know um, the theme is the gray aliens who are also, Nigel suggests, a form of artificial intelligence from another civilization that reached our technological level of development and went beyond it. But we ourselves are developing a similar form of artificial intelligence, not quite at that stage yet. And we are going head over heels 
without without a thought, putting everything we can onto the internet so that these algorithms can control our lives, our our voting patterns, our shopping um, preferences. So th- this conversion, this uh, of a natural human perspective where there's imagination, creativity, um, challenge to be able to do things that are difficult is gradually disappearing into a society where ease is the most important thing and quickness. Um, and and uh, rather than having meaningful relationships with people, we tend to invest everything we are on social media, waiting for likes and dislikes and to come back at us. So real commitment and um, real value seems to be disappearing. So Nigel's latest book um, is basically on that theme, showing the implications for humanity of happily accepting what he believes to be a, a totally devastating future for the real value of humanity. And basically, since he wrote his previous book in 2010, things have changed completely where that's concerned. It just seems that we're taking quantum leaps towards a virtual, artificial, gray-like existence. I have to say that when I interviewed Nigel years ago, he was so far ahead of the game that I think I'm pretty well versed into a lot of these topics but he was so ahead of the game that it was hard for me to understand where he was going. But now I do. In retrospect, sure. he was he was writing those books really in decades ahead. Exactly. And actually, his first book was 1997, Song of the Grace. And I believe, I don't know for sure, but I believe he was the first author to say that these gray alien visitors might be artificially intelligent and not natural living beings that most people at that time um, thought they were. That was, I I believe he was the first person to say that. And in more recent years, um, uh, even scientists like the late Stephen Hawking, um, said that if any alien intelligence were likely to visit us and communicate with us, it would almost certainly be post-biological, some kind of AI um, civilization, because we can see we're on the edge of that now. So if there are societies, uh, civilizations that uh, out there in the universe, which there most definitely are, even mainstream science accepts now there must be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other life forms like us out there in the universe, then if they're more technologically advanced than us, which is likely, if you have a look at the technology that these um, craft are capable of, nothing that we have, um, it seems, then it's likely it's AI. They've sent out some kind of programmed probe into the universe. Well, Nigel proposed that mankind's biggest existential threat is not from environmental disaster. And again, he, there he was, speaking ahead of ahead of the game, brought from our own transition from natural human being to cyborg. What inspired him to take that stance? Well, I think it was basically just observation and common sense. If you just have a look at the way the world is going, so technology technology is it's not that technology technology is bad, right? So he he didn't suggest that we should do what the uh, in in the nineteenth century when uh, agricultural machinery was taking away people's jobs. There was a group of people in Britain called the Luddites, and they tried to smash up the machines, right? He's not saying 
technology technology in itself is a bad thing. Technology technology's done the most incredible things to help us. The problem comes when technology becomes a substitute and a crutch that we lean on, a substitute for our own capabilities. So it's just a commonly um, known fact that if you don't lose use your abilities, I mean, you, you can see that with uh, physical training. If you don't use your body, if you don't exercise, you lose muscle. You lose the capability to do, to do things. You lose strength. Okay. In the same way, if we don't use our imagination, if we don't use our ability to uh, have to conquer challenges, we will lose that those faculties, those human faculties. And that's exactly what we're doing. Now nobody needs to know um, how to find their way somewhere. They can use Google Maps. You no longer need to do careful research in a library to find information. It takes you two seconds on Google. And this is the thing. If these faculties aren't used, they will disappear. So and, and be eroded away so that eventually we become basically drones. And the most key, the key fact there is, is the, is human connection. So basically we're being, we're schooling ourselves to live in a kind of artificial setup through social media where we don't make those crucial, powerful human connections that are so absolutely vital if, as the great teachers all suggested, the real meaning behind our existence is human connection. And if we lose that, we lose our humanity. I've noticed the lack of creativity when it comes to cars, uh, when it comes to movie production. It's almost like this, this new template where everything is the same. And let me talk about Elon Musk for a moment because this is part of the book. Elon Musk has said that he wants to achieve symbiosis with artificial intelligence, with his Neuralink device. How do, how do you think this will change the format of human living and being? Well, that yes, so Elon Musk, uh, he's one example of this, of this new momentum to create brain-machine interfaces, right? And, and every day there seems to be some kind of new technology where people are, are trying to do this. So the idea is that in the future... Um, we're going to reach our next, in inverted commas, evolutionary stage where we become part machine. And it's seen as some kind of enhancement. So we could be more intelligent, say the advocates of this. Um, we could uh, have enhanced physical capabilities, stronger. We could maybe live forever. Maybe these uh, brain machine interfaces could somehow, or biological um, mechanisms that are artificial could somehow enhance our physicality so that we live forever. There are others who suggest that if we can, and, and there, there have been experiments which have been done that show that brain signals uh, can actually be recorded, thoughts and feelings can be recorded and played back so that those same thoughts and feelings come alive in someone else's brain. So they can, the, uh, the idea has been postulated that we could live forever as a recording, and a, a recording of our entire lives, everything we know about, everything we do, everything we think, our likes and dislikes, all put onto some kind of hard drive that would go into the future. And, and we would have what they believe is some kind of eternal life. The whole point is, to start with, if you start to introduce 
technology, let's say a chip into the into the body. Okay, that is, is somehow or Neuralink. Okay, as soon as you have some kind of a technology in there, it can be hacked. Okay, so if you have a look at people like Musk and the other um, big tech leaders in the world, do we really think that they have the interests of humanity at heart? Do we really think that they would be trying to ingrandize human potential and eat, and every normal every every individual in the world to become something better and and uh, more capable and happier? The whole history of uh, business would totally contradict that because obviously they're looking for profit, they're looking for power, they're looking for control. As soon as they have some kind of brain machine interface in us, they will control us. It, it's not; it's just common sense. And really, that was Nigel's approach to the entire um, the entire um, view into the future. It was basically he looked at it with common sense and he had such a remarkable way of making connections that, as you said, he was just completely ahead of, ahead of his time with um, with the kind of conclusions he came to. I understand. Some people have asked Elon Musk, are you planning to replace the organic consciousness? And obviously technology always has it's a two two it's a double edged sword. I can understand if, if somebody has disabilities or they need to enhance the capabilities of, of people who are already healthy is another thing. But uh, this thing of supplementing organic consciousness seems suspicious to me. But let me ask you this. Many scientists have proposed that humans should be wired up with sensors that form early warning systems for disease or illness. Do you think this will be a danger to our privacy and autonomy? Well, absolutely. And it's it's really interesting you say that because again, if we look at the pandemic, okay, and we look at the whole this whole idea of vaccine passports, okay, that I feel I do wonder, and I was very worried when all this was going on, because I I, I noticed that there was a certain dogma, a certain way of thinking that you could not contradict at that time. So experienced, well-known epidemiologists would, would cut off YouTube if they dared to question the vaccines or lockdowns. Okay, And these are eminent scientists, you know. Nobody could say anything against what was going on in terms of what the governments were doing in terms of the vaccines and the lockdowns. And the vaccine passports restricted people's movements. We were getting used to that. They were using fear to control us and and also uh, manipulation so people were told in in britain for example um you must get the vaccines or you'll kill your grandma yet at that incredibly uh, in england and i think possibly in many other countries around the world in care homes the government did absolutely nothing to help the people who were there and actually sent patients who were still positive with COVID back to the care homes to mix with the people who were there. And the carnage was unbelievable. But then the public were told, you must have these vaccines, you must stay at home, or you will kill grandma. Okay. And it was a mechanism of control. And you can just see in the future that this was like a, for, a, a way of getting us used to this way of thinking. And in the future, maybe we will have 
some kind of vaccine passport as a chip inside us because they could say, okay, you can fake anything that's on a piece of paper or that's on your phone. You can hack it. There are loads of fake vaccine passports. It should be inside you. But we're not controlling you. It's for everybody's benefit. It's for the sake of humanity. Okay, because because we need this. And people could also believe that if they have an ongoing health check via a chip, okay, it can spot diseases before anybody would even know about them. It could spot cancer before it happened. It could spot a dangerous illness before it happened. Therefore, we should all be implanted with these chips that will monitor everything about our health and warn other people if we're a danger to their health, because that's in the interests of humanity. And I think you're right to be very, very suspicious of that kind of um, approach because it's it's only heading to a, a future in which we're hacked and controlled by those who ha- it's in their interests to control us. Well, if something really taught us, at least I think in Europe, in the United States, was that people really didn't rise up too much, and they think they can pull a, pull a, out another scheme in the future with a digital passport, the Sesame Social Score that we see in China. But that's that's a topic for another show. But speaking of Europe, Europeans are now debating the rights of robots with, quote-unquote, electronic personhood. In light of this, how important do you think our natural human connection to our existential reality is? Yeah, I mean, Nigel, when Nigel read that, he was just in fits of laughter. He just couldn't believe it, that there, it could be considered that a robot would have rights. Because there's this, there's this strange confusion that seems to come over people when it comes to artificially intelligent robots. And I think it's made even worse when they look like us and they're now creating robots that actually resemble, exactly resemble human beings, which is quite, which is quite chilling, really. But what it, what, but it doesn't occur to people that that robot, with, even if it is artificially intelligent, is really no different to the hard drive on your computer. It is not aware. It's not conscious. That's not to say it doesn't have incredible power and scope to, um, to think intelligently way beyond anything we can think because it can, thinks it can ca- make so many calculations so quickly. And that's the danger of artificial intelligence. But it is not actually aware and therefore to have any notion that it has rights is just absolutely laughable but what Nigel felt is that this is a way of personifying artificial intelligence to make people believe that it somehow has some kind of meaningful value and as he basically the the, uh, his favorite thing to say was it's no different from your hoover really, in terms of existential value. And the the tiniest, most primitive form of natural life, even a bacteria, is superior to artificial intelligence because at least it has that natural connection back to a state beyond the physical atomic universe. And that was Nigel's central thesis, that that's, that natural line of connection that all living things have is something that artificial intelligence can never have, but it's also at the same time something that absolutely fascinates artificial intelligence because they can't make sense of it. Now let me bring Dr. Biggerstaff to the fold. Nigel believed that our, our intrinsic nature is partially 
artificial, installed by, by an ET, an extraterrestrial intelligence. Can you tell us more about Nigel's research in this area? Well, I will, but I'd like to finish off um, the previous point here sure. and to say that really central to Nigel's thesis in, in all of his books was the difference uh, between um, what science thinks of consciousness uh, as being uh, the derived product of complexity in machinery, hence this great rush to make AI, which they think will spontaneously develop consciousness. Nigel thought that consciousness uh, preceded matter within the construction of the universe, and therefore consciousness was the thing that was actually driving the whole thing, rather than, than this assemblage of matter, which, which uh, Musk and all of these others think is, is really driving us towards, towards consciousness itself. As Danielle pointed out, Nigel said, this, this is just impossible. And therefore, they're really onto a hide into nothing uh, if they keep trying this. But the problem is that so many people have been convinced of this argument um, that really the, the, the whole thing is continuing. People are, are, um, are putting themselves more and more onto social media. And if these social media get onto chips which actually interface um, with your nervous system, really, that's about the last time you'll ever think that you know what you think, because what you think is now part of a hive and your individuality will go away. And primarily, which what Nigel was most concerned about, is that this concept of free will, which most scientists think we haven't got, um, will actually go away. And so really you have to give yourself to this to the system and then once you've actually given your will to it, then you become susceptible to merging with an AI. The more you become like a computer, the more a computer that's more advanced with you can merge with you and take advantage of the fact that you you have this propensity um, to think and to, to derive meaning from information. By the way, you read my mind. I was thinking just that, that the hive mind will make individuality Extinct. And I say this because I've been, I've been observing a lot of these AI robots out there that some of them have citizenship, one of them in Saudi Arabia. You probably know what I'm <laughs> talking about. And when they ask, when they're asked that question, they keep saying that, no, that the hive mind will be something positive. They talk about how it may influence our decisions, behaviors, and attitudes almost in a positive way. I think that this is where they're going. They don't want any individual thought. Well, they've got the metaverse, haven't they? Exactly. Yeah. So this is this is the, the, the trend that the human race is taking, and this is what Nigel was really writing all of these books to try to tell people about, that in fact it goes the other way. These machines, they're made from the consequences of the making of the universe. They're, they're the broken up parts of it and you really can't put the parts back together to try to make something um, th that can think and because parts are subject to, to uh, the thing Nigel went on about so much was the second law of thermodynamics and within this part of the universe everything rots and therefore you're you're uh, if if you're just going to work with machinery um, you it's going to decay whereas consciousness itself is not part of that system. It's part of the bit that 
that came before it and is now managing it through really a demonstration of this would be the observer effect that Bohr um, came up with so that this is where essentially matter comes from. Let me pose the question again uh, about Nigel's uh, belief that our intrinsic nature is partially artificial installed by an extraterrestrial intelligence. Tell us more about that research that he had. Well, um, he in his he goes into this quite a bit uh, in the first book, saying at different points, uh, the greys, if you like, have come and actually affected our DNA. One of the most recent ones where the most progress was made um, was really uh, around 10,000 years ago when they could actually um, get into our genome uh, because they they uh, of a really a random uh, mutation in a gene um, generating a, a, a mutated product called A11T, A111T, which actually stopped uh, melanin production. And Nigel's thesis was that this allowed um, this allowed the application of machinery, really, to, which actually we do. I've done it uh, with laser beams, etc., to actually get through and actually manipulate DNA. And I'd, I've actually done that. So his his idea was that under, under all these different circumstances, um, the genome of human beings could be manipulated really to uh, make lesser and lesser amounts of consciousness available to uh, the human being. So we're effectively dumbed down from earlier forms that we have come from. This is the thesis of devolution that Nigel puts into, into all of his books. And so these things uh, are gradually making us more psychologically and biologically uh, available to interface with these electronic chips. And in fact, back in 2012, uh, I was actually asked to join, join a project where, because I could do things like grow cells on silicon chips, uh, to actually do this and then try to record the, um, the electrical waves in the neurons uh, to be able to see if they could decipher some of the code for how to really interface a, a chip with a with a mind, and you can see in the last in the last twelve so or so years since that work has, was at that stage, it's now at a much much more advanced stage. Do you if see? I could just exp I'm sorry. Go, uh, go ahead. I, I, I just I just want to add something to this uh, regarding the the possibilities of biocomputers, because the the technology is there right now. They can put DNA, proteins, or enzymes instead of a traditional, you know, electronic component. Why isn't this out there already? I think that those behind the scenes are already using biocomputers. And sorry for interrupting you, Danielle. No problem at all. So I, I'll ask John to get back to your point about that um, in, it, after I've just made this quick point. But I just wanted to explain um, to your listeners that this gene that was introduced 10,000 years ago that John was talking about, that was um, a gene that, that – that, so 10,000 years ago is when the, um, melanin 
the uh, dark coating that's on the surface of the skin um, was um, before, before that point, there was no low melanin. There were no blonde haired, um, blue eyed, fair people. And that was the time that that was introduced. And the, the mutation he's talking about that was random uh, was a mutation where an albino form of uh, hominid some, somehow happened. And the thing about melanin is that, um, and, and Professor Steve Jones has spoken about this. He's a famous biologist. It surrounds the uh, nucleus of the cell and stop, protects the DNA so that gene splicing and uh, interception can't get through it, right? So any biologist, and John will tell you this, will know this, um, you can't cut through um, melanin. And if it's surrounding the cell, it's very difficult to get into the DNA. It so is. they found a way of getting in there and controlling our DNA with this random mutation of a low melanin hominid. And he'll explain. Yeah. Yeah, I used to work on melanoma. This is how I, I, I know how difficult it is to actually get in to the genetics using extraneous forms um, of, of treatment or, or attack. Um what was your question again? Yeah, you were just explaining how we were just explaining how um, alien interception into the genome was able to be so much more effective once they oh, could absolutely. get rid uh, of melanin. It, yeah. it accelerated it exponentially after that, and we we are now in the stage um, where where we are um, are actually inserting the the systems into our body. The thing about DNA is that the common assumption is that it's really just a primary code and uh, that code codes for proteins, etc. But there's more to DNA than that. And, and there are discoveries uh, which are sort of underplayed in, in common knowledge that DNA um, will generate is, is will generate a magnetic field if electricity is played is put along it. And in fact, there are electrical potentials within the nucleus of a cell which will allow current, um, current to flow within DNA, thus producing a magnetic field. You can actually measure that magnetic field coming from DNA in the nucleus and especially DNA in the mitochondria. Though, and the mitochondria, uh, Nigel, Nigel says, um, may well have been actually put in one of the first means of actually the, the Gray's actually put into us um, many, many years uh, before that. So these things, they generate a field. And this field is what's influencing one's psychology. So psychology or a bio field. If, if you come across the, the, the concept of a morphogenic field from Rupert Childrake. Let me ask you something about melanin. Because obviously yeah. we have an ethnic group, the black Africans, who still have the melanin. Do you think that they are the original ones untouched by this genetic mutation? Yes. There's, there's, um, if, if you look at the papers, the um, people mostly from, from Africa have almost none of this mutation within them. Uh, it's thought that the origin of this is somewhere between the Middle East and uh, the Indian subcontinent, uh, where you get some of this um, some of some A111T in some of the people, but nearly everyone in the northern hemisphere has this mutation. 
also, just sorry to cut in there, but also um, if you look at abduction experiences um, as catalogued in a lot of David, David Jacobs' work, very often the abductees describe what they see on the space, spaceship, these um, hybrid babies and so on, and hybrid creatures, as very, very, very fair. And I remember one, there's a particular quote which said, no sunlight for this guy, no, these guys. OK. And uh, yeah, so that there does seem to be some evidence for um, the kind of format that they want our biology to take in order for them just simply for them to get into the genome as easily as possible. Isn't it interesting also, I'm thinking of India and the arrival of the Aryans in India around uh, 1500 BCE. And, uh, you know, they started the Vedic period, which some people think it was very advanced, and it lasted until 500 BC, so about a thousand years. But they introduced certain, certain cultural practices as the caste system. Some people see that as a positive. I don't, from my perspective, but the worship of Vedic gods and the Sanskrit language. And they also have brought a sophisticated system of government and social organization. Did they take the Indian people away from nature in a way? I wonder if you might be very, very right there. Well, so I, I used to live, um, I lived, lived, I spent a long time in Sri Lanka, and I think it's the same there as in India, where there's this incredible idea that to be pale-skinned is somehow a huge thing of status. Yeah. And that's what the caste system is, is very much based on, and the same thing passes on to Sri Lanka. This notion that... To be pale is somehow to be higher or better, which is remarkable in a in countries where to be dark skinned is the normal uh, way to be, and it's also a protection, obviously, from the sun, which is necessary in in uh, climates like that where there's so much powerful sunlight. But it's really, I think, you could be really be onto something with what you're saying about the Aryans because there's so much in the ancient Vedic texts about these vimanas what they call vimanas, which are ships that they actually saw in the sky. They actually, even in those ancient thousands and thousands of years ago, before they were even, they were, flight even exist in terms of the machines that we've invented, they talked about ships flying in the sky powered by mercury that they called vimanas. So, yes, definitely, I think you're really onto something there, that something was going on that was uh, not quite of this planet. In your opinion, will the development of artificial intelligence enhance or diminish human capabilities? Well, I think if you just so really, I, I could give an opinion, but I don't really even think it's an opinion. And please feel free to contradict me. And, and maybe your listeners will see some arguments against this. But in my mind, it's just common sense that if we go into a situation where we are allowing artificial intelligence and artificialness generally to take over the natural functions that we would normally have. So you have kids, for, it's just to give a, a very basic example, kids now living online, playing computer games online, not playing games with each other anymore, not having imaginative play. Okay, that's just one example. But if you look every which way in terms of society, every group in society seems to be subtracted from in some way by getting involved in uh, an online, artificial, virtual version of life 
rather than just living their natural lives with natural human connections, struggling as we always used to, to do things, learning from the struggle, becoming bigger, stronger mentally and physically from struggle. And we're becoming, we're just basically becoming drones, subjugating everything, all our potential, everything we could possibly have into an artificial format. And that's, again, I must emphasize, I don't think Nigel ever wanted to say that any of that was bad or wrong and that we should get rid of all technology. Not at all. But just bear in mind that we sh the, the absolute crucial thing is that we don't sacrifice our natural capabilities and grandeur as, as natural living conscious human beings as we go pell-mell into this artificial into these artificial constructs i have to be very careful in the words that i'm using because you we're using the cv19 words and i'm just thinking that it's not an, it's not an experiment it's actually a plan and the plan has been all along to hijack the immune system so that people have to depend and rely on big pharma on a subscription basis whenever there's any ailment. But again, I don't mean to deviate. What do you think the implications could be of granting robots electronic personhood? Yeah, so the implications of granting robots uh, personhood, uh, some kind of rights, legal rights, okay, basically that is our uh, white flag for the greys, for the grey alien visitors who Nigel all along has said were visiting us in order to bring us into a situation in which we followed their formats, their way of doing things, okay? Because they can't, because they're artificial, because they're purely physical atomic constructs, they can't in any way actually contact or have any um, reach into our what Nigel what you might call a soul okay and I, I hesitate in a way to use the word soul as indeed Nigel did because it has so many uh, strange religious connotations and has been and, and religion has been so in, in many ways uh, uh, is a great distorter of truth it, and it, it, it religion itself has been used to manipulate people but basically, Nigel defined a soul as a line of connection to the non-physical pre-Big Bang universe of, and, and quantum physics is now, in fact, pointing to, ex to exactly the same state. Uh, when and, and John maybe can talk about this in a moment, how quantum physics shows that such a state of, of union, a perfect union of timelessness, where there's no separation of points, must be the underbase to our existence. To, by the way, to move away from the religious aspect, I would call it, as a, if you want to call a soul, a force or essence that animates the physical body and gives it life. I think that's the best way to distill I think it. Essence isn't it? Is, a, is better from that perspective. Nigel, Nigel said that you know, the the world of where consciousness lives, um, which we would call he he calls in the book the the death where you go when you die, if you like, is is hasn't got force within it. It's it force is part of this part of the universe. Um, 
and that it's only nowadays as we've decayed you people need to die to actually cross this interface whereas originally uh, the, uh, towards the beginning of the universe it was a, it was much easier for beings to to actually see the difference between the two places and simply cross cross between them because um, there's this whole world of what he called unforce. You may have seen this in, the, in all of his books. He talks about this concept of unforce. Unforce is, is really not the, uh, it's really not an anti-force. It has no motive power within it. it has, its power is by uh, enabling forces to cancel one another thus allowing its presence to be known within a physical universe. And that process really, in a nutshell, is what, what Nigel defines as life. Can you explain Nigel's theories in relation to gray alien entities that, you have re that he has referred to as roboids? Yes. Okay. So it was Nigel's theory way back from 1997 when he wrote his first book that the grey alien visitors, which have actually been witnessed for thousands of years, it would seem, because if you look at Aborigine cave paintings from, I think it's seven or 8,000 years ago, uh, they, called, they call them the Wangina, and you will see they look exactly like the greys that are drawn by abductees right now. Yes. Okay, so it was his theory that these alien entities that visit us and are seen so often in abduction scenarios are a form of probe sent out into the universe by an, a civilized, civilization that's come, reached our point but gone beyond it, even further than us, and is simply trying to explore every possibility out there in the universe, as artificial intelligence would do. But perhaps, just like we have, they've come to a point at which their technology is beginning to destroy their natural uh, scenario of living on their planet right so they would encode everything they are as a living species into an artificial format in a very similar way to the way we're doing now um we're we're putting we're um there are there are some people who believe that if they as i spoke about earlier if they encode everything they are onto some kind of hard drive they can live on eternally so they would have coded everything about their biology about their existence about their civilization onto some kind of data artificial data format sent it out into the universe just as we send probes to mars or venus places we can't physically go and given that program the um command universe and find a location where the data that represents that civilization can somehow live on and somehow continue to exist and so that's in a nutshell what nigel believes the gray aliens to be see you're opening doors and i'm just thinking outside of the boxing correct me if i'm wrong but if we had the capability to create ai now let's say that other planets have the capability as we speak and this is why we see all these advanced machinery well let's say that it was us here creating them and our planet was dying, just for an example. And we instructed this AI to go out there into the universe and find a planet that could be hospitable to us, 
the first thing they would do would be to terraform that planet. Could our planet right now be terraformed or be being terraformed by these AI from somewhere else? And this is why we see the chemtrails. This is why we see the reduction of the population, the death of, of many of the things, living beings, flora, fauna, and all that. Am I close to a possibility? I think you have a profound insight, in my opinion anyway, and I think Nigel would have said the same into the way, uh, exactly the way this might be going and what the how the alien, grey alien agenda may actually be transforming us into exactly the same uh, paradigm that they themselves run on. So it was Nigel's suggestion that, uh, and again, this was based on a train of logic, really. Okay. He asked the question what would these extremely advanced technological beings have to do with us? Why would they be interested in a relatively primitive species on this planet? So human beings, we have emotions, we have all kinds of chaotic. Um, motivations that would really be very a real nuisance to artificial intelligence, right? Because we're not logical, we can't easily be put into systems. And the simplest thing, if they wanted to take over this planet, would be to destroy us. And they certainly have the technology to do it. So why wouldn't they do that? Why would why are they so profoundly interested in us as a living species? Why do they continually why have they been continually abducting people over generations? So abduction runs in families and it's people get abducted again and again and their children get abducted and so on. And why has this been going on for so many thousands of years? What could they be so fascinated by when we are, basically, we would be little more than ants to them in terms of uh, capacity for intelligence? Okay, so, and you can see that kind of intelligence right now with the artificial intelligence that we're creating um, as as a human civilization, which has a capacity to make calculations a million times faster, maybe a billion times faster than we can. Okay. So why are they so fascinated in us? And that was when Nigel asked the question, okay, they're so fascinated in us. There has to be something. There's got to be something special about us. And he came to the conclusion that maybe the very fact that we're natural and we're not artificial is something special. Okay, and why particularly human beings? Well, maybe human beings have the biggest amount of that naturalness of any species on the planet as the most advanced life form on the planet. Okay, that was when he suggested maybe they're looking for that natural specialness, the spark of life that as artificial entities, they can't have. And I just like to, um, before I finish, when I'm saying read a, a quick bit of uh, research that Nigel quotes in the book, which illustrates this point. So there's a chemist from Berkeley called Bagita Whaley, and she studied the remarkable facility that living systems have to tap into the coherence of the quantum. And she says, when isolated quantum systems open up, and interact with their atomic environments, they rapidly decohere. 
decoherence is the main obstacle to building a quantum computer. So quantum computers are the pinnacle of artificial intelligence, okay? That's what they're trying to create now. And anybody who says artificial intelligence won't be dangerous because it's only doing what we've programmed into it, they don't understand quantum computers. Because as soon as you have a quantum computer, it can tap into the quantum and it can go past the program and make its own programs, okay? So somehow this chemist has said living states can tap into a coherent state. We don't understand all the details, she says. This is a quote, okay? But in the biological domain, nature doesn't appear to show the typical paradoxes associated with information processing in quantum physics. So scientists are having a problem with quantum computers. They break down. They decohere, okay? The same thing will happen to the information field of these gray alien entities. And I call them entities, but maybe I, I shouldn't personify them because really it's only a data field, right? There's no consciousness. There's no identity. And that data field, because of the universe is governed by what we call the second law of thermodynamics or entropy, where everything breaks into greater and greater states of chaos in time. So our bodies decay and eventually we die. You leave a car out, it will go rusty if you don't take care of it, okay? That's the cast iron rule of the universe. It will break down. Purely physical, artificially intelligent programs will decohere. They will break down, as indeed they're finding with these quantum computers. But somehow living beings have a coherence that seems to come from outside all of that and contradicts that second law of thermodynamics, that would be the holy grail of these artificial intelligent visitors, something that does not break down. They can't touch it. They can't hold it because it's not physical. But what they can do is put them, their own programs into us because we have that natural connection, we have that coherence, and then live on through us. I'm thinking of Dr. David Jacobs' work, which you, you mentioned it too, and he believes we have been hybridized for centuries. And the final goal is to terraform the planet. What would we do if we had the same need? Well, we would be manipulating the atmosphere of another planet, the climate, the topography, the ecology of that planet to make it more, more Earth-like. Also, think of this for a moment. What if these beings live thousands of years or live forever if they're synthetic? 1,000 years to them is nothing, and to them, we're like mosquitoes that live from two weeks to a month. So when we think these beings have been here for a 1,000 years or a million years, to them, it could be a small amount of time. Exactly. Sure. Absolutely. And to them, so really, the only reason why we even perceive the passage of time in the first place is because we have that natural connection. Okay, so if you think about it, the only way you can know a past, a present, and a future, okay, is if you have something that's timeless, a reference of timelessness in somewhere in your um, conceptuality, okay? Because, for example, a stick, right, on a river that's floating down a river, it's only in the now, it's only in whatever position it's it's moving in at that time if somebody's standing on the shore of the river 
It can see the stick moving. It can see where it was in the past. It can see where it was in the in the present. It can it can look to where it can be in the future. Okay, because the person is standing still on the bank. Same thing if you're in an airplane. Okay, so if you have the shutters down on an airplane, you don't know you're moving. But if you move, if you if you lift up the shutters and you see the ground moving underneath you, you know you're moving. You need a reference by which to perceive the passive of passage of time, and that can only be a reference of stillness, of timelessness. Okay, and the only the only situation in which you'll get timelessness is a situation in which there is no separation of points. Time is the separation of points, and this is the state of perfect union that Nigel has spoken about. And he's called it the God verse because calling it God anthropomorphizes it. And it gives the wrong impression of a man in the sky controlling things. It's not like that. It's more like the Buddhist conception of a state of perfect existence and quantum physics as well seems to be pointing in that direction. Can you explain what Nigel meant with the, the term meta materials? which have been recovered from an unidentified aerial phenomena? I'm not exactly sure what reference that is, but I would imagine by metamaterials he meant recovered um, materials from actual craft, like in Roswell. Was he perhaps referring that, to that's that? That's what I think he meant, really. Yes, yes. So I, I would imagine that's what he was talking about, and there has been um, a lot of evidence throughout for over the last 30 40 50 years that yes indeed they have recovered um actual materials from craft that has visited and bob lazar is yeah. mm -hmm. um is the best example of somebody to me anyway and i think to many people and i know he's been on joe rogan's show and, and joe rogan is really he he really gives a very very um, critical and very incisive approach to all his interviews. And he really takes people apart. He said, I, you know, I can't fault Joe Rogan. That guy's telling the truth. And, and that's what gave him an incredible interest, Joe Rogan, in the whole alien phenomenon and made him to start to believe, oh my goodness, this is, this is amazing. There's really something in this. And of course, Bob Lazar, I'm Probably, I'm sure your listeners will have, will know about him. Of but he was um, the guy that was working at Area 51, gave all kinds of reports of recovered craft, of uh, an, a particular type of element. Um, I can't remember the name of it now, but some element that didn't exist yet at that time that the, the aliens told him about and showed him. What, sorry, you know, John? Yeah, it was element 115 that yeah. was being right. used to drive yeah. the yeah. engines yeah. of the spaceships. Yeah, and later discovered that that element did actually exist. Yeah. And yet they wiped his records completely from, and then said he was never there. But it was later proven that he was most definitely there. Well, element 115, because there are 114 elements in the periodic table, so that's one that we haven't found. And this is the, exactly what a metamaterial is, an artificial material engineered to have properties not found in nature. And, you know, they're using it. I don't know if this is actually from extraterrestrial crash craft that has been, you know, reverse engineered. But we're, we talk about the invisibility cloaks, acoustic lenses, and a bunch of other novel devices you probably have heard of them. 
Exactly. And the really interesting thing is that that element is at the farthest edge of the periodic table in terms of force. Okay, so as you go up the periodic table, it starts with hydrogen, which is the least force, okay, and goes to the at this particular element, which is the highest force possible. And it's fascinating that Bob Lazar spoke about this as an alien uh, phenomenon because it's Nigel's suggestion that the origin of these alien craft is a situation in the universe that is of a higher force signature than our planet. That was Nigel's whole idea, that we exist in an in-between state of a certain force signature. On one side, we have a less enforced state going back towards the Godverse, and the state we go to when we die is like an in-between between us and the Godverse. And then on the other side, you've got a higher force state, which is where the greys come from. And it was Nigel's suggestion that uh, the first atomic tests, okay, and the, the amount of force that they created actually made a way in for these higher force locations to for the greys who exist in those locations to dip in. And that's when you started to get the a huge amount of UFO sightings when the after the first atomic tests. That's also why uh, there have been all of these observations of, of UFOs in very high enforced places, such as under the ground um, and under the sea, where the pressures are absolutely vast and they're more, much more suitable um, for beings, if you like, or, or a, uh, a field made of that type of elemental structure. What is your opinion on why mainstream media outlets have been so successful in relegating information about alien phenomena to the sidelines? Things are changing, but they're still on the sidelines, obviously. It's absolutely remarkable, isn't it, that, uh, that that's the case, even with... so. Even with the um, that meeting of the press club where generals um, several years ago, there were high-ranking generals who got together and and told the world at a press conference that they have seen these UFOs at um, at sighting at weapon sites. It's somehow doing something uh to control what was going on there if people like that can be ignored and nothing can happen and if everybody at the media in general is more fascinated with what the british royal family is doing or the latest gossip (laughs) than that it's an absolutely remarkable thing or any other diversion yeah yeah well you see if i had the opportunity to ask a question to generals people in in command not only in the united states but europe throughout the world my question would be how do you think we could potentially respond to alien visitors with a more advanced technology? And I'm not saying the word weaponry. So, so okay, so yeah, exactly. And that's actually the angle that many of these uh, military people are coming at it now. Um, I forget the name. There was there's a guy recently who he was actually on Joe Rogan, and he was a, he's a pilot. And he was reporting how they see um, many him and his colleagues are seeing these craft every day, literally every day in in the sky as they do their maneuvers. And and from his point of view, he was worried about the actual defense threat of something like this, that, that, that somehow something is going on in the sky that 
doesn't seem to be anything that we could possibly uh, as a hu- uh, as human beings have created it's way beyond our technology and heaven knows what it could do and he was very down to earth and he was just saying we we need to study this because there's no way he's absolutely convinced there's no way it could be produced by any technology anywhere in the world and we need to look at it and i'm sure you're aware but this year um there's been a new bill that's come out in the senate to um, produce uh, a new um, uh, group of people who are who are specially there to study craft that are not man-made. Okay, so they're literally asked to focus only on objects that are not man-made. Because, uh, and the new bill actually states that sightings of craft that come out of water into the air may and may form threats to the United States national security are expanding exponentially. So, for some reason, the government themselves have actually admitted there are things in the sky that are not man-made. And, and this disclosure is something that Nigel did predict would happen. Yeah, isn't this disclosure? If the government is saying we'll spend some of your taxpayer money into studying made up materials or things that are not made on this planet, it is indeed. And what Nigel said, even though we may think so, there may be people who have been involved in the field for a long time, been frustrated by the cover up. And, and the fact that it was kept under wraps for so long and maybe thinking, yes, disclosure at last. But Nigel was actually very suspicious of that. And he said maybe the reason why it's been disclosed now is because now we are ready to merge with these entities. We're ready for them. They've prepared us and we've come to the point where they're ready to harvest us. And and I would say that our technology and our technological development and our almost complete um, identification with this virtual world that's being created and, and going and, and, and uh, advancing moment by moment, it's, we, we are ready. It's like saying, okay, let's tell them about it because they're coming and we're going to, it's time for us to get together. The first time I ever heard that term, harvesting of souls, from the grace, obviously Nigel. And the more I think about it, back in the day, obviously we think, this is impossible. Where is he getting this from Star Trek? But then again, we have other people on this show, John Lear, who passed away recently. He said something to me many, many years ago, and I know he was ridiculed and still being ridiculed by what he said about the moon. He said that he received information stating that the moon it's a soul catcher. I mean, think about it for a second. What if we were meant to live here to experience something, and when we die, we go to other universi? But the moon was placed here so that it could catch the soul and recycle it into this realm again. To some people, this sounds ridiculous, but I'm not discounting anything anymore. Yeah, I, I, as, as far as I remember, there are actually some reports, some sightings from NASA videos showing some kind of massive craft behind on the dark side of the moon on the side of the moon mm-hmm. and yeah that there is there are there's lots of evidence to suggest there's definitely something going on out there so i i'm not familiar with the theory this um the particular theory you're talking about but it makes sense because there's def- there's definitely been sightings of something very odd 
uh, going on. Wanted to ask you about the what causes people's lack of curiosity when it comes to exploring the alien phenomenon. But obviously, if too many people start asking questions, especially the authority, or let's call them the emperor, they introduce the superficial appeasement of society, bread and circuses. So they're too distracted with sports and propaganda and here, the Kardashians and all of that. Sure, sure. And if it, basically, and this is something also Nigel always said, if you want to control people, you don't give them something they don't like. You give them something they like. You give them toys to play with. You give them things that make life easy for them. You, you make everything uh, something that's pleasurable rather than something that's not pleasurable. And that's basically what this new technology is. You have the new iPhone comes out, okay, which is maybe has one tiny fa factor that's different from the previous iPhone. But you get people, scores of people screaming outside shops, waiting to get the first iPhone, new iPhone in their hand. I mean, it's just absolutely ludicrous. But that that is it, the commercial world is basically the greatest um, mechanism for control that the greys have because like kids with toys we'll just go with it and and the more we go with it the more superficial our outlook will be and the less we will be aware of the deeper more abiding values that perhaps we used to be available our our, our uh, parents, our grandparents used to be aware of in the past. Yeah. Well, on the other hand, as, as well, um, science has convinced us that we we don't have uh, that consciousness is coming from our bodies, uh, which have evolved to be conscious, and therefore we don't have a soul. And they've taken that away. Uh, from us so we don't believe in that anymore therefore we don't believe that we have any will at all we think we're in the machine world already and this is why the coming metaverse is is absolutely wonderful for the system to be propagated the thing is though this is really um the the thing they're most scared of is the word no because if if human beings spot what's going on and turn around and say no there's no force you can apply to a human being to make them to make them comply with what you what you want and you know the compliance is really a uh, the the buzzword for really the the getting people to actually accede to what you want to do as soon as they accede to it then really you you've got it made and we're very very close to that these diversions that you mentioned um, are, are really what is providing a really powerful impetus. That, and as Nigel uh, stated quite often, you know, these these super rich people, etc., that really want this to come about, they control all the media too. And this is why people like you are so important to have around because this can actually get information to people to make them think about something for themselves so that they can make up their own minds without being sort of lied to and and sent down these little um you know irrelevant tracks uh which is what you can see happening every day and as you pointed out you hit the nail on the head with with compliance i think that's exactly yeah. what we see today if we had to if i had to add three words in the past three years their compliance, control, and gaslighting. Gaslighting yeah. is so 
preponderant right now. But we have to take a one and only intermission. How can people buy the book, Gray Aliens and Artificial Intelligence, The Battle Between Nature and Synthetic Beings for the Human Soul? Uh, so the book's available from most online bookstores. You can go to Nigel's website, www.nigelkerner.com. You'll find links to various online websites like Amazon there. It's also available in bookstores, um, uh, physical bookstores, and uh, I, I believe all over the United States and also uh, in England. So, yeah, pretty easy. it should be pretty easy to get hold of. Well, folks, we have one more hour with Danielle Silverman and Dr. John Biggerstaff. And when we come back, I want to discuss, are we entering into a new evolutionary or devolutionary, it is a subjective question, post-biological inflection point. But all of this, when we come back, this is Mel Hostelrick, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section, or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Subscribe today. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy. Get a 15-day free trial of FLFE today. We also have rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Veritas and Sanitas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share the video. Click on the notification button to be alerted when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. And since we're paying tribute to the late Nigel Kerner, I've just been provided with a song that Nigel wrote and sang under the pseudonym Bob Glein. Glein is an anagram of Nigel, and he chose to use the pseudonym Bob because it was his nickname at school as he used to bob up and down asking questions all the time. This song is called They're Taking Jesus Out of Christmas, and it was written by Nigel when he was looking for a Christmas card to send back home to his family one year when he was abroad and couldn't get back. He noticed that there weren't any cards related to the nativity, which was symbolic to him of the commercialization and thus the evaporation of truly spiritual values. Now, let's listen. Of angels and know they 
name a little boy. Two thousand years ago, some shepherds were watching lights glow in the sky. They heard strange voices sing of ages when men's spirits once could fly. Then a light fell out of heaven to calm the shadows of our mind, to break the bonds of separation and bind the hearts of humankind. They're taking Jesus out of Christmas. Have you seen how well they do? Once west in a little manger Painted bubbles dangle blue Silken strands and pretty patterns Deck the halls in festive time Turning hearts from deeper moons Closing eyes to truth divine Place 
Amen.